Hello, and welcome to episode 58 of the Carrier's Edge podcast. I'm Carrier's Edge co-founder Mark Morrell, and I am joined today... By the other one, Jane Jazrawi. How are you doing today, Jane? Fine. Speed it up, bud. You want me to speed it up? I yep. can speed it up. Speed it up a little bit. I can talk a lot faster. Okay. Should I talk faster? Oh, what episode are we on now? 59. Oh, shoot. Did I say the wrong one? Episode 59. You, did you actually say one? I did. I was going to say we should just start, start calling them random things like yellow. Welcome to episode yellow of the <laughs> yeah. Carrier's Edge podcast. Okay. All 59, right. 59, despite what I may have said at the beginning. I don't know what you said. Well, I thought I'm, I said 59, but I now I'm second guessing myself. Sure. I think you just said hello and that you were the co-founder. Mm. But you can always listen back. It was yeah. only like five minutes ago. Not like we can't edit these things. <laughs> despite what the evidence of past podcasts All right, for ep- episode yellow, what are we talking about? Uh, I have to get myself focused because I'm in a foul mood today. Awesome. Well, I already knew that because it's been all day. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon and Mark has been in a foul mood today. Yes. Server problems. Mm -hmm. I do not like server problems. No one really likes them. I hate, yes. Technology, technology should be invisible. It should just be, you know, it should just be a tool. Like your hammer generally works. Yep. And when it doesn't work, it's very annoying. And you generally get a new hammer, but yeah. you know, it's a, like tools should be like really innocuous and invisible and not even like, you shouldn't even think about it. And then, you know, so when something does happen, it's like very jarring. That's funny that you say that because that is exactly it. When you notice it, it's not good. You yeah, know, there you are a lot of things it. that you just should not notice. They should just be there. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with an HR uh, colleague, um, somebody who was an, uh, a manager at an HR, HR manager at a software company that I knew. And it was a decent sized company, about a hundred or 150 people. And she had come into this management uh, position and we were talking about something and she made sort of an offhand comment about getting a reference request for a past employee. And she said, yeah, I don't really know that person. And on the surface, it sounds like a negative thing, but in the HR world, that's actually good news. You know, in, in she made that clarification that, you know, if I don't know you, if I'm the HR manager and I don't know you, that's actually pretty good. The people that I know, it's almost never for good reasons. When I was teaching and even when our kids were going to school, to elementary school, I used to always refer to famous kids because mm. there was always people that everybody knew and you, not yeah. for a good reason. It's never a good reason. It's like, Oh, this person's in trouble again, or is the, there's always like some sort of situation, yep. and so I would call them the famous kids, or and um, yeah, it's the same thing. If there's a squeaky wheel, then everybody knows that <laughs> yep. person, and uh, yeah. Yeah, and today I noticed our servers. Yeah, and notice parts of them I don't ever want to notice. Well, we and I think what we're, you know, as people know is. When we have lots of inner com, inner tor- turmoil and complaining and things like that, there's always a move to, okay, how can we fix this? Yeah. How can we fix this and make sure it never happens again? It is getting fixed and there so, is progress. I just so hate that it happens. Hopefully everyone is, everyone listening realizes that it's never the same problem. Yes, true. It's always a new one. 
It's a new one. And it's stuff that comes out of growth and mm-hmm. you build these things. You and add then, new features and they and break it, other ones. and Or you build it and it works fine. But over time, as you scale up, it can't handle the load yeah. or things sort of outgrow their usefulness. And yeah, there are reasons for these things. I just, I just hate them happening at all. So if anybody... Well, you always like, you don't like to have surprises. You like no. to have, you know, you have a day planned. Certain things are happening in your day. And this is you specifically. I'm not oh, yeah. talking about the general you. You specifically, Mark Morell, don't like sudden change or a sudden change of plans, sudden surprises. Agreed. These are the things that put you in a foul mood. Yes. So even if <laughs> if the server is going to crap out, if there's something that it does badly, but I know that, I can deal with that. <laughs> I'm used to it. It's a known issue. It's a known When we problem. don't know that period of time, like that hour when we're, we're still investigating and you don't know is when you're the crabbiest. Yeah. But even if I, so the other day, um, I would, there was, the weather forecast was like huge rainstorms, like really bad, bad wind. And I had said the night before, oh, we should take our daughter to school because. I'm not going to like this story, am I? No, you're not. Because it's rain, it's going to rain and, you know, let's just, we can just take her. We don't normally, normally she buses it, but it was a particularly bad day after some nice days. So I wanted to, to make sure that was happening. So. The day that the day that we were supposed to, or I was supposed to take her to school, I did first change. Mark, can you take her to school? Yes, that's fine. That wasn't like a slight irritant, but okay. Then I was looking at the weather, and it was raining, but it's looking like it was stopping. And so I said to Mark, "You know, we could probably make her take the bus." And then that was when the that was when the uh, you know I took it up a notch and there was a little bit more stress like I'm changing plans One I'm more changing plans on oh my god and then and then the second time I came to your office and said you know I don't think you know she can just bust and then it was like no well, no you're I'm also, taking her you're rewriting history a little bit it was well I think she could probably bust and then it starts hammering rain. And so it's like, okay, well, we're going to drive her. But then it stops raining. It was one of those days where it's like <laughs> pelting rain and then it's nothing. And so, oh, we should drive her. No, she can take the bus. Oh, we can drive her. <laughs> it's like, oh, just pick one. And I had already decided we're driving. And you're still going back and forth. And, and so I she- think long after the bus is left anyway. And I'm like, no, we're just doing it. No, it was dry. It was completely dry. I think dry. it probably she was dry. Ride yeah, she got to ride it perfectly dry, but okay. And then that afternoon it was raining and we made her take the bus. Actually, we didn't make her. She likes to take the bus. Yeah. So, And that the same thing happened earlier this week with the stargazing. We were planning to go out uh, stargazing on a Tuesday night. And Monday night we had a bunch of plans. We were going to look into a bunch of things and prep. And then Tuesday night uh, our son and I were going to go out stargazing. And you're like, well, why don't you go tonight? It's clear night. And he and I are both like, no, the plan is to go tomorrow. But it's clear tonight. Well, just change your plans. No, we have a plan for tonight. Tomorrow we go stargazing. So on Tuesday we went out. And it was cloudy. It was partly cloudy. We got some stuff, but we learned a lot about the experience. But just as important, uh, we're both driving and we're like, she wanted us to just change our plans and do it on Monday. Like, (laughs) And he's fully like me. That's crazy. (laughs) I don't understand you people. Yeah, those plans did not get changed. I know the plans did not get changed. And I understand 
it just my instinct is to just be more spontaneous and just kind of do things at a different time. And, you know, after 25 years of living with you, I should probably know better that I can do it once. You should know that it's four minutes until Wapner. I know. I know. I do know that. And on Tuesdays, we have pancakes. Maple (laughs) syrup should be on the table before the pancakes. Rain Man reference for anybody yeah, not catching it. Yeah. Who's not stuck living with people like me. And Christopher, yeah. So both of you are, are fun times. Because uh, so you and the boy are the same and me and our daughter are the same. And it's, you know, we've learned to just sort of go, okay, I give up and just move on. It, it, it's either that or just fight all the time. If I cared that much about what night you went stargazing, like if I had a lot of investment in it, I would be really mad. But I have, you know, it's yeah. just not that important. So you well, have to decide what is important. Sense to have that discussion. And there have definitely been times when we've changed plans and we've discussed it. You don't there. like it though. Uh, I you accept never it sometimes. Like it. I don't like it if there's not a good, if it's not happening for a good reason. And some of these things, like I don't want to change plans for like a moderate improvement or something or something like if I've already adjusted my schedule to account for driving a kid to school, I don't want to adjust it back. It's not like a more work for me to just not do it. So I'd rather just do it and follow the plan I've created. And if I have already got a plan to do some research and do some prep on a Monday night and go stargazing on Tuesday, I don't want to try and cram all of that into a Monday night. I would rather do it across two nights fully recognizing that that second night may or may not work out as well. But stargazing is like that. You go out there, it looks clear, and then... Then you get what you get. You always get one cloud right in front of the thing you're trying mm-hmm. to see. So that's just how it goes. But it, that does make you sound like you're so much better planned and organized than I am, which is yeah not true. Well, now it's committed to the, the podcast, so it's obviously true. <laughs> well, you... Yeah, okay. Just let's just leave, leave we'll it just at leave that. It at that. I got my victory. I'm moving on. Okay. So we're done now. <laughs> Can I leave? Moving on to the next <laughs> subject, which was what? Oh, I wanted to pick up on our previous conversation from the last episode. We were talking about what we have been occupying a good chunk of our time with is hiring some new people. And we have lots happening in that area. And it's been a very illuminating experience over the past few weeks. To clarify, I have not. You have. You are starting to. I am beginning my part of the process. Yeah. I haven't been able, because what my time has been taken up with in the last couple of weeks is actually not hiring anybody. It's been doing the job that I want other people to do. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Reminding yourself on a daily basis why we need to hire these people. Yeah. And part of the reason, and we probably talked about this, is um, that we... We have to hire people to replace me. Yep. And uh, while I'm busy doing all the things I do, it's hard for me to find time to actually interview my replacement. So you get to do it. Yeah, I'm doing some of the upfront screening. So the transportation subject matter expert Mm -hmm. is the main one that we've been working on. And we've gone through a bunch of interviews. And after we do, well, we have a multi-part screening process that has proven to work pretty well in a lot of different job functions. So we start by asking somebody some asking people some basic screening questions. If they hit the initial criteria to be qualified, 
like they actually have demonstrated that they have, have got the experience that we require and the skills and they can do the job. We ask some screening questions and then if they have decent responses on their screening questions, we set up an interview. If they do a decent enough job on the interview, then we have a practical exercise to get them to actually do some of the work. So we don't want to do the practical exercise for people that have really no shot at it. So we're not doing that early on, but it's, it comes towards the later part of the process. And it's an example of the kind of work that people are going to be doing in the job. So you look like you've got the experience and the skills and you seem like you have the right attitude and you're interested. Let's see what the actual work is going to be like. And that's for both parties because people can look at that exercise and say, you know what, I don't really want to do this work. And that's certainly happened in the past where people have got the exercise and they never return it uh, because they realize they don't really want to do it. And that's fair enough. That's the whole point of the thing. Do you really want to do this work? And here's what it actually looks like. Are you capable of it? So in this case, the exercise is a selection of questions on regulatory requirements and some examples of the kind of work we do, kind of reviewing storyboards and dealing with escalations of questions from customers and stuff. And I've found it very interesting of the people that have responded and answered you know, the exercise, particularly the first half, which is the regulatory questions. And it really opened up something that I hadn't thought much about before. We've talked about it a little bit since, and that is the difference between being correct and being complete. Because we ask questions and people can get the correct answer to those questions but is that the complete picture? Are they just pulling stuff from the actual regulation or are they explaining it in the context of somebody's day? And are they capturing all of the other things that happen as a result? To be fair, we don't ask them about how to apply it to somebody's day. That's not one of the questions, which it no, might. Because we had an hours of, of service question and how we didn't, and maybe we should say, how do you think that would affect a driver's day? I did ask why it's significant, why the changes are significant. And at this point, they've gone through screening questions and an interview. Mm -hmm. And they've presumably done some research on us. They may know us from before. They've had a chance to look at our courses. So as part of the exercise, they get logins and they get assigned courses to actually go and look at it. So they really? also have all kinds of information from past podcasts and articles about mm -hmm. how we focus on the context of the driver's day. So that's one of the things that I'm looking for. Are they kind of thinking out of the box and thinking about us or are they falling back on their normal habits of, of doing things? And I've also been noticing not just that sort of complete versus correct thing, but also are you just copying the regulation and pasting it in or are you actually rephrasing it into something that's a little bit more easily understood because anybody can copy regulations and paste them into an answer. And that's what most training is. Yeah. And I don't need you to do that because I can do that myself. What I need is somebody to translate that into the real world. And it's been very interesting seeing people's approach and that whole correct versus complete thing. Most people get the specific answer correct, mm -hmm. but almost nobody looks at the bigger picture and no. looks at the other contexts or the other things that need to be considered. Well, my thinking is that that's actually going to have to be part of the onboarding process mm -hmm. is learning how to do that. 
Because I think people can do it and they just don't think about it. They've never been taught to do yeah. it. Yeah. And it's not something that's on their mind. Although we do put that very specifically in the job description. In the about you section, we talk about being able to see the forest and the trees. So look at the details, but also see the big picture. Yeah, that's two different things. I know. Nobody that's, ever looks at that stuff. They just jump to the requirements and then apply. Yeah. And, and you know, you give them questions about regulations. They're going to answer that in the context of the regulations. And it's in, but the step that we take and what anyone in this role is going to have to take is the real life version of that. Like, how mm-hmm. do you interpret those regulations and, and how do you explain them to people and not just drivers? Like, how do you explain them to your coworkers? Mm-hmm. So right now, a lot of my job is explaining regulations to people. And it's not in the context of writing the choruses. I'm explaining it to support. I'm explaining it to the other writers. I'm explaining, you know, people who are sending in, we have a, we have a whole board that is just of people who have, who think they have course bugs. Like, so they are wrong. There's a wrong answer or something like that. And there's been a couple of times over the last two weeks where I, I've had to basically go in and say, no, 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 that's no. This is ex- this is what they actually mean, and this is what the actual answer is, and this is what we have to correct. Because if you don't really understand the regulations deeply, then you don't really know the nuances. And I, I think that if you have the knowledge of the regulations, figuring out the nuances, if you have the ability and desire to, you know, that communication level, then it's going to be not too difficult to start addressing some of those questions. Mm-hmm. So, and I think um, it's easier to do in a proactive context than a reactive context. So what I mean by that is that the reactive context is what a lot of people who are applying for the position do yeah. now. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff has already happened. You've gotten a fine, you've gotten a ticket, you've gotten whatever citation what do you, you know, and your first res- a person's first response when they get something like that is fear and anxiety. And, you know, I'm going to tell you why I don't deserve it or the extenuating circumstances. And, you know, hey, I've gotten a ticket. I know that feeling. It's like you want to say, but I'm in my neighborhood and it was a rolling stop. But like there was no <laughs> one there. That's, you know, you want your first reaction is to go, no. But when you get the ability to be proactive, you can think about it and say, okay, well, this is, you know, this is a situation where it would happen and this is what it means. And, and it's, um, it's a lot more relaxed and you can sort of breathe while you're doing it. And, and, but imagine what, what you're trying to prevent. So what I find just as last part to this comment, with the whole course bugs thing, it's not the questions as much. Uh, sometimes it's the questions, but the one that I did most recently was actually about the feedback to the inc- to the correct and incorrect a- answers, which mm. was incorrect. Mm. So the question itself was fine. The feedback about how to actually how to understand what the correct answer was was buggered up. <laughs> so it was. Well, was it actually wrong feedback? It was not. It was unclear. So that one that was pointing to a link. And- yeah, it was. Uh, we got this from a customer who said that I don't even remember what the problem was or what the actual initial message was. But the 
the issue was that um, it was saying, what does, you know, which special provision number for this this dangerous good uh, says that you need an ERAP? So for all of you who, that was pretty technical. So if you don't know anything about TDG, it won't make sense. But anyway, the feedback says that you have to go to Schedule 2 and look up and look up the special provision number and the link takes you to schedule two. But the problem is, is that you can't, you don't know what the special provision numbers are until you go to schedule one, then you go to schedule two. So the feedback skipped out that whole schedule one thing. It mm. was, the feedback was technically correct in that you right. will yeah. find the answer in schedule two, but the answer didn't say you first, you have to go to schedule one. So that's a perfect example of correct versus complete because exactly. it was correct, but it was not complete. Exactly. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, when you're talking about hours of service, correct versus complete would be, yeah, I can tell you what the, you know, the duty, like, you know, you can drive for. Well, a good one hours. is the, uh, the new U.S. sleeper birth that one period, at least seven and another period, at least two adding up to 10. Well, in your head, you think seven, two is nine. Yeah. Right. And people regurgitate that because that's what the regulation says. But it's not realistic. That's not it's, the application. That's not how anybody does it. You know, the answer really should be you can do, in addition to doing an eight and two, you can now do a seven and three, or you could do seven and a half and three and a half if you wanted, you know, as long as it's more than that. Or you could do seven and a half and two and a half, I guess. That would be fine too, as long as it adds up. But that's how people are going to think about it. They're not going to think, okay, I've got one period of at least seven hours and I've got another period of at least two hours. Therefore, I am compliant. That is not how human brains work. And one of our, um, yes, I agree. And one of our, we had a big error in our course that we fixed ages ago, so it's not an issue. I know, there was an error. We talked about it, I think. The I know, why are you error. bringing it up again? Because it's a really good example a of interpretation. Pain in my side. <laughs> Yeah, Mark was wrong. I know. You do that every once in a while. I knew the right answer too. I I knew what the situation was and I cannot believe that I looked at that and did not catch it. But that's what people do. You look at something and you have your brain kind of goes into autopilot. And it's the same thing when you're studying for a test and you look over information and you go, yeah, yeah, I know that. But then you ask someone a question about it and they don't know it. Yeah. So you thought you knew it. You and you're like, wait a minute. And it's worded a bit differently and it totally throws And you it. realize that you didn't know it. So when I was. But I know better than that. That's why I'm kicking myself. But it's not. You shouldn't kick yourself because it's just human nature. And you don't normally do this. And this is another reason that we need this role is because what were you doing helping me do that? Sure. <laughs> it's yeah. not. I shouldn't. should never let you near content. That is not your role. This is not your strength either. No. And I knew that you understood it, but you're not great at explaining things, which, you know, you're wonderful and you have a lot of talents explaining things. I'm great explaining things. it to myself. Well, Isn't exactly. So, so when you were explaining to Tiffany, I think she figured it out wrong and you basically said, yeah, you're right. And in your head, you were thinking about what you understand. And in her head, she was thinking about what she understood. And there was no... I don't know. But For the anyway, record, I'm shaking my head and rolling my eyes at this. At yourself, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> but anyway, so we we the, it was the application of the rule that we got wrong. So we had the rule correct. But anytime we talked about implementing that rule, 
we kind of had it wrong. And this is what happens with a lot of people. And that's why the regulations need training and why you need to have people looking at these things over and over again is and that you need to have people who know how to explain things really, really well in a number of different ways. Because you need to not only understand what that regulation is, but be able to put it into English words and sentences that get translated into French and Spanish words and sentences that also make sense so that you can apply that information to your daily, your daily life. So in terms of the sleeper birth thing, we got it screwed up when, you know, if you do it on multiple days, Mm -hmm. the rules hadn't changed, but um, Tiffany thought that they had, and it kind of seemed like it was kind of that vague thing. And it was her first hours of service course. And you were thinking that, you know, what you already knew and blah, blah, blah. So it was like, that's an easy mistake to make. It's also, it was kind of a pain to fix it, but it was, you know, it's okay. It's not going to be a huge issue and, and it's done now, but it's that kind of, you know, think about all the possibilities of what you're saying to people and do they really understand it? So a transportation SME, like at this position, you're going to have to talk to writers and say, this is what this means. And this is what it means for somebody's day. And then talk about, you know, what happens later in somebody's day. So how many hours can you be in a sleeper birth? How many hours do you have to take in your second period? What about tomorrow? What about the day after that? It was the same with the 30-minute break. When I first did the content, when that 30-minute break in the U.S. started, and it was, you had to be, you had to, you couldn't be, you couldn't drive if you had been eight hours on duty without a 30-minute break. And what that meant, and nobody had said this at, at this point, was that you might, at some, if you took your break too close to the beginning of that eight-hour period, you were going to have to take another one. Mm-hmm. And nobody had said that. It kind of, they started saying it about three months after I had already figured it out. But that is one of those things that you have to play it out in your head. What does this mean over time? Yeah, I still get hung up on the fact that people expect... Uh Drivers to work eight hours without a break. You know, drive no, for to drive for drive eight hours. Drive eight hours with no break. That's insane. No wow. other occupation is like that. You know, hard to understand why, why you can't no get one people wants to be. The industry. <laughs> no one wants to yeah, be. Yeah, you're going to work for eight hours with no break. Then you're going to get a half hour break. Then you're going to work for another four to six hours. Much of that will be driving, and then or waiting. Yeah, at a place where there's no bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, well, see, this is always my first thought is the bathroom. You know, it's like... <laughs> well, I'm thinking that too. Eight hours, no break. How's that working? But anyway, that's uh, that's kind of how we're going. And uh, so we have some TDG that we're working on. And I know that the Vicky, who's the writer for that one, wants, wants a, a subject matter expert to talk to. Yeah. Um, Weights and Dimensions was one of those ones where, oh my God, I really needed people to. Well, what's funny is with these exercises, uh, I gave people a selection of questions and a couple of uh, sort of written exercise parts and said, pick, pick the ones that you feel most comfortable with. Well, when they get in here, they're going to have to do the other ones. So, you know, you may have been able to skip it during the screening, but you're, you're not skipping it for long. 
I'm actually, I think what I'm going to do is ask about the other questions mm-hmm. in the interview and yeah. my interviews, because I'm starting to do the second interviews and I'm basically going to say, okay, so, you know, now let's go to the other ones. You had the easy ones. Yeah. And one of them is about the uh, California sexual harassment. Uh, we're not going to give about. any hints or any answers in case people listen to this podcast oh. before their interview with Jane. But well, we one of the questions. Ask about okay. So we have one question about hours of service, obviously. We have another question about California rules sexual harassment. There's like six questions. Mm-hmm. So those are the two. And th- there's not a lot you can do to, I mean, you can go and read up on it, but I don't think it's going to help you. It's more about the discussion about how you do it, right? Yeah. And sure. that's the that's the thing that you can't really fake. You you either kind of know or you don't know. So that's mm-hmm. the skill set that we're looking for. It's um, But it is tough because I think all these people who deal with regulations are so so um, ingrained that it's, you know, this rule and this rule and this rule that you forget about how to look back from a 10,000 foot mm-hmm. um, view and, and talk about it. One of the other things that I've found interesting as I go through the screening is the things I'm realizing I can learn or I can tell about somebody just by their answer to particular questions. And I, I remember realizing this in the best fleets world that people that had certain answers were always going to end up with driver satisfaction in a certain place or turnover in a certain place or safety scores in a certain place. And it was it a good predictor. Out, yeah. It was a very good yeah. predictor, not a hundred percent, but a very strong predictor. And it so had never open door policy is going to be low, lower driver satisfaction. Well, the thing that I remembered on the best fleet side was the people that have the hardest time getting an interview scheduled and like if you, they can't get it or they keep canceling it or, yeah. you, and when you get them on a call, it's noisy and they're not paying attention. Those or they, people, or they say, oh, I got to take a call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those people always have way worse turnover and way worse safety than other fleets. People so, who are putting out fires all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And they have that attitude and they're always kind of stressed. They always have way worse turnover and safety. Um, so I, I noticed that and things are a little different now the way we schedule. So it's not quite the same, but I do still see a semblance of that. And in this position, I was not expecting it at all, but I discovered there's one other thing that I can kind of see a correlation. We have applicants that are coming in with all kinds of different backgrounds. Some of them have got a history doing sort of the fleet safety side of it. Uh, and, and sometimes they came up from being a driver into other positions. Some of them have like a whole history. A lot of people come in from the insurance side fair number of people that have their experience on the enforcement side, kind of retired cops or enforcement people, uh, sort of a broad range of things. Uh, and a few that are kind of career safety professionals that have done lots of safety in different industries and then come into transportation. So broad range. But one of the questions that we have at the end in our screening questions we have a bunch of things that we ask about themselves. And then the last one is, what questions do you have for us? Yeah, that's always the best one. And it really tells us a lot about people to see what things do they want to know about the job? You know, what questions, how much thought have they put into this? What would they like to know? And I, I found this like on the technical positions. There's some people that don't have any questions and that's not a good sign. Like, why aren't you thinking? Why aren't you curious? Um, and in this one, there is, you know, I've never seen this before, but in this position, there was a bunch of people whose 
main, in some cases, only question was essentially how much do you pay? And those are all people that were drivers. That's so weird. Yeah. The people that have a history sort of come out of doing different things, um, it can kind of tell you may be a safety person right now. You may be, you know, doing fleet safety or something, but the people that were drivers, almost all of them, their main question is how much do you pay? The drivers are so conditioned by that and so conditioned to only think about occupations and only think about jobs in terms of how much can I make here? What do you pay per mile? And sometimes it's like how many hours and what's your pay per hour? Like, dude, this is a full-time salary position. (laughs) We're not tracking your hours and you're not paying by hours. How many hours can I expect in a week? Actually, um, we get that. I get that. You got that for the graphic designer positions a lot because you tended to get some people that are kind of used to doing jobber type work. Mm. But that's people that have got a couple of years experience out of school. This is people that have got 10, 15 years in a dedicated occupation. But it might be that that's kind of just transportation as well. Could be. You but know, the people it, that weren't drivers didn't ask it. Because I think if you're, oh, that's interesting. Very, if they weren't drivers, but like then they wouldn't, they wouldn't be necessarily starting in transportation. So if you start your career in something other than, so let me go back. For example, as a teacher, if you get a job as a public school teacher, you know what you're going to make going in mm-hmm. because it's based on your experience, how many additional qualification courses you've taken and whatever else other education. It's like everybody's making the same thing and then you then it branches off based on that. So you don't ask. In the software world, it's like you cannot speak about money until the very end. But if you are going in for a union job, it's the same thing. It's you you have this, there's a scale in transportation because the way drivers are paid and because it's so confusing, so crazy, I can see that you know, trying to figure out what exactly you're going to be paid and how much you would actually work could be a question because it's probably different. In when you go into insurance, it's, you know, then you're going back to the software industry where nobody speaks of pay. So it's like this, it depends on the culture of the particular industry that you're in. That you start in. I think that's uh, a good observation because these are people that haven't been working as drivers for many, many, many years. But yet that's still kind of the thing that pops out for them. I, I found find that, that very interesting. I find that, oh, well, okay. I have, I find that that's a very stressful conversation, mm. but I think that women actually have, and I, and I don't want to be, don't want to, I, I am generalizing, I admit it. And I, it's not very favorable. And I've, I've read a lot of things about women not being great negotiators in terms of salary. And I think that's the way we're socialized. We're socialized to be much more amenable and try and to, this is not coming just from, just from me, but that women are not great negotiators because I think we're not socialized that way. We're not taught to uh, try and ask for more than for whatever we want. Basically we're always sort of trained to, you know, you're not, you know, you just want the opportunity, you, you know, you'll settle for whatever. There's a lot of settling when you're a woman and, and it's really hard to basically say, no, I, I want what I want. So I always have a very difficult conversation. Like, I mean, and I do it. I don't like it. That's, I think that's mm-hmm. what my point is, is I don't like talking about no, money. Nobody likes it. I don't know. Some people do. Some people are fine with it. 
Well, I haven't met that person yet because every talk time I talk to Chris I bring Henry, up, he will yeah. he will say, "Chris, and shout out to you. You will have no problem talking about how much how much anything is worth." Yeah. Um, but all when the people I, that I interview, I leave it to the end of the interview, and uh, I say, "I'm not going to hold you to it. I just want an idea of a range." Mm-hmm. And part of it, certainly for us, we're creating a lot of new positions, and we don't we know have what, no idea. Yeah, what does it cost for somebody? Yeah. So it's a little bit of market research as we go through this to see, you know, what do we need to be budgeting for these things? Well, the other thing that I was going to say about salary negotiations is that I'm upfront about not wanting to talk about it and that mm-hmm. I usually make a joke about it. And um, especially when I'm talking to other women, because and then I'll get the sort of like, oh, you know, I hate that, too. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this whole you so know, your answer is to make that part of the work that I do. So by the time people get to you, no, it's already done. That's actually not true. I I mean, I like to know salary expectations and I'll put a salary range in a job posting, which you don't. Yeah, well, I don't know what the range is. That's true. Maybe. See, I had a, I have a vague idea of, of Indeed ranges. Indeed gives me a suggested range of between 37 and 95,000. Oh, yeah. Great. That's Thanks helpful. indeed. Yeah. Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard to do. And, you know, we didn't, I mean, it's such a weird position, a SME, just yeah. someone to be knowledgeable. Although, uh, I do have two other positions that we opened this week that we're going through that are both marketing positions. And even though they are titles that are very common, our particular implementation of those jobs is a bit different. So we posted a creative director position. And a lot of the time, creative director is just at agencies. It's all like ad agency, ad world. And that's not what we're about. We're looking for something different. We still need that job function, just not in an ad agency. So um, that's proving to be a little bit different as I'm screening the mountain of people that applied for it. A lot of them are really focused on client work, consulting type stuff, very campaign specific and less about sort of overall brand vision, which is very different for us. And even the marketing managers, a lot of times I'm finding they come out of a sales function. So it's sales and marketing manager. And the sort of the marketing is tacked on to give us the white papers that will help us sell. Yeah. And that's very different from the kind of marketing manager that we need. So that's been an interesting thing in a very different way. Well, yeah, I can see the whole sales and marketing being tacked together because it often is especially when people marketing is an afterthought of the sales team yeah that's who gives them the flyers and the brochures and who books the booth for them we do it very well because we come from we come from such an anti-sales background like we just don't want to do it we've always gone to the marketing more as a you know this is our happy place or it's a, Mm -hmm. a more satisfactory place for us than the sales part of it is it's like you know, you want to lure people in rather than, you know, try and go and grab them from outside. Yeah. Grab and them as they walk by. Grab them booth. as they walk by. Yeah. Yeah. We want, you know, come into, come onto our carpet, not, yeah. you know, let me pull your arm onto my carpet. Yeah. Punish um, them for making eye contact. With you. <laughs> yeah. Grab them and pull them in. <laughs> they all let me tell you what we can your do for eyes. you today. <laughs> uh, oh. yeah. So, um, uh, so the marketing, yeah, our marketing approach is very different. And what we see is how things have evolved over the years. Because when we started in in our careers, in our adult careers, things were very different. Roles were very different. 
and creative director. I didn't even know it existed Mm -hmm. for a long time. And um, so you, you kind of don't have a concept of what it is that you really need or you really want. And then you go off looking for it and you realize that the rest of the world has gone off and done it a different way. And that's kind of what we're discovering now is with the creative director and the marketing manager positions is that, you know, the rest of the world has gone on their merry way and we've been doing this carrier's edge thing. And now we have to relearn how to talk about different positions within our own company that we thought we knew and we don't. Yeah. Like even with the, even with my team, I, Cause, and I, I think I've talked about this before. I thought we needed instructional designers and we did not in no. fact need an instructional no. designer at all. And that was because that was what I knew. That was what I was, you know, there were no instructional designers or what I do didn't exist. So when I created my own jobs, I didn't have any phrases for it except what everybody else was starting to use. An instructional designer did not start being used until... 2000s yeah and i started my career and you know 10 years earlier yeah so none of that existed and it's the same thing with creative director and marketing manager is it sales and marketing that we want is it you know do we get a marketing person who can write can we get a micro marketing person who can write and do images yeah and what is a brand manager and should we be looking at that yeah whole different thing you get all of these different job functions that you have to learn about to figure out what is it that you actually need and then you post those. And, and then what should we be looking for? Because we get, you know, in twenty four hours. What you is get talent? Of them. Yeah. Yeah. What makes a good one? So that actually does bring me to one thing that I have noticed. The marketing jobs in some ways are a little bit easier to screen. This is similar to what we found with your graphic designer positions, is that we can do a first round of purging of the applicants just by looking at not even reading the content, but just by looking at the resumes in the application, because all of these people that are applying for a marketing, uh, creative director, graphic designer job should all be putting some design into the resume. Maybe they've got a fancy layout in their resume. Maybe they're using the default indeed, uh, resume generator, but they are including a link to a portfolio or an upload of a portfolio or something. They've got to have some design in it. The ones that just use the generic resume builder and have nothing else in it, no visuals, just text and no link to any work they've done. Those are an easy cut because you're trying to convince me that you've got a great design style. You've got a nice approach to visuals you're, you're thinking about marketing and you're thinking about how to catch, yeah, how to catch your attention. Yeah. That's and the all whole you do idea is behind stick with marketing. Just the lazy self-generated resume stuff. Oh, those are the easiest and ones indeed to has the grossest resumes. So I think yes, everybody, I think everybody on my team did something. Oh yeah. Well, they and wouldn't even the writers, through. well, even the writers yep. did something different. They wouldn't have got through. I would have cut them in the first round. You didn't do the screening for the writers? I did. You did? I did, yeah. Because oh. we had you, we had nearly 200 graphic designer applicants in no, 24 I was talking hours. about the writers. And the writers, we had about 125 or 130. Because all of the people that are getting laid off from local newspapers and things applied for the job. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
in all kinds of kids that have graduated recently with English degrees, they all applied. So what would be your top five things to put in a resume? Well, for anybody like this could just be anybody doing um, I would say if using Indeed, make your resume a PDF, because for whatever reason, some versions of Word cannot be viewed online through their system. So you end up having to download it. And that's so painful to download a stupid file just to look at it and see the person isn't qualified. I would also say in that PDF, which will display online properly, um, put some element of design in it. You may not be great at it, but make sure it's formatted, that it looks clean, that there's something different about it. There's definitely a trend towards people putting a headshot or a little profile photo or something in there, sometimes illustration. If you can do that, great. If not, that's fine too. Uh, I don't care that much. Even making your your name a bigger font than everything else. But just don't use the default Indeed resume generator. Never, never use that because it's terrible. It looks awful. Uh, It's like Microsoft PowerPoint. Well, uh, yes. And another thing with the resume is if you're putting it into a PDF, put your actual email address in there. Yes. Because Indeed will mask them and turn it into some blah, blah, blah at Indeed mail. So that's okay in the beginning. But at some point, we're going to need to break out of that. If we're sending you exercises and stuff, file attachments don't work through their mailer very well. Links to a Zoom meeting and stuff, those are a problem. So have a PDF that looks a little bit different, that's got something distinct about it and has your actual email address in it. I would say those are the big things. Okay. Oh, and also if you're going to include a cover letter, actually include a cover letter that's written for the specific position. Cause I can tell now the cover letters that are generic where they've just slapped our company name and job position in it. Uh, if you're going to have a cover letter, have it reference the specific elements of the job posting and why you're good for them. Uh, I don't necessarily need a cover letter. I mean, there's lots of people that are getting through that don't have cover letters. Yeah, so I don't need a cover letter It's not like it used either. to be where that's considered good etiquette. Now, much of the time when I see a cover letter, it's because a person isn't qualified and they're trying to explain how they'd be able to do it anyway. <laughs> and but that's okay. In some jobs, that's fine. But for us, as we have probably talked about before, we're not looking to hire people that are sort of almost there and we're going to train them. Well, for your positions, that's fine because you're already the expert on that stuff. You can train people on that. And it's actually like we better in my the, case. Yeah. With the, the transports me, we know that you're going to have to do training, but for other positions like these marketing positions or a solution architect that we just hired, these kind of positions, we want somebody who's already an expert to come in and tell us how to do things, how to yeah. you know, bring your expertise and know how to do it. So We've we're been not fumbling to, along for a decade, so yeah. now can we? Now yeah, can someone help us? Look at somebody who's sort of partway there and looking to sort of um, get a lot of education and help have us help build their skills. We want people that are already experts, so that they can come and sort of fix the problems that I've created by doing it myself. <laughs> so, yeah, lots more positions. Actually, I have another one or two that I'm going to be posting in the next week or so positions. Yeah. Yeah. Technical, uh, uh, one technical and possibly we're talking about another position in your group. Um, the department manager, project manager, scrum master, project portfolio manager. So you've got to figure out what the actual title is. 
Yeah, it's going to have to include reading and editing, that's for sure. And juggling a lot of projects and managing all of the uh, the vendors, the mm-hmm. translators, the voiceover people. And yep. yeah. And uh, what I realized looking at your status report last week, and this came up in an interview I was doing with somebody this week, at any given time, we have about 15 courses at different stages of production. So there's a lot of things that need to be juggled. Yep. Yeah, 15 to 20 courses in production at different stages at any time. So there's a lot of work to be done there. So Well, now there is. I mean, it never I think No, you always had those always in production. They were just moving a lot more yeah, slowly. But I think I'm actively working on four or five at the same time. Yeah. At any at any given and time. Each of your people is working on at least two. Three. Usually yeah. three. Yeah. So it's like a translation and two and two English ones. Yep. So so we're busy. It's mm-hmm. busy, busy, busy. And, you know, if anybody who is listening is interested in any of these positions, then take note of what we're saying because it's true. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we've just spent like 45 minutes doing like a hiring fair. Hey, you know, if people, well, especially people who are doing the marketing or creative director positions, um, this is part of our marketing, you know, yeah. part of our marketing is doing this Mention podcast. this podcast in your interview to get 10% off. <laughs> But you know what? I always like it when someone says, I think there's been a couple of people we've hired who who said during an interview interview with me, I listened to your podcast. And it's like, yeah, okay. All right. So you know you have some clue. You get an extra five points for that. Exactly. And if you are applying to it for a job in anybody else's company, I would say the same thing. If they have a podcast, listen to it because- Mm -hmm. There's a lot of information there about the company's culture, about the kind of people you'd be working for. You can get some, you know, information on questions that you might ask. You know, yeah, it's a lot of, lot of good information. So mm-hmm. thank you for your resume tips, Matt. You're welcome. I think we should probably wrap it up since, as you say, we are busy. And I know. Uh, we should get back to it. All right, so, then. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great day. 